right, let's have a word of prayer. There's some that really need it. Here we go. <laughs> that was just fine. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we're about to look at. And Lord, again, thank you for Chris and Sarah. And we ask your blessing upon them. And Father, bless your word as that we read it, we look into it, and may it change our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today is the next to the last sermon, teaching, study in Mark. We're going to finish Mark next week. We're going to finish Mark next week. Two and a half years. Really, two and a half years it's taken to go through Mark. So um, it's, been a, it's been a long time, but it's been good. So let me give you a statement. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very cornerstone of true New Testament Christianity. Now, we've seen in the last number of weeks, it's been kind of broken up because of different things, but we've seen, you know, the garden. We saw the trial. We saw the actual crucifixion. And today we're seeing the resurrection. But we're not going to do a major in-depth study. We're not going to look at the science behind it or anything of that sort today. What I want us to look at is this. What does it mean to you? If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very cornerstone of true New Testament Christianity, let me ask you a question. Do you believe it? Because this is what's being attacked more than anything else in our world today. I saw something the other day on, um, uh, someone sent me a YouTube or something like that, and it was a, um, it was a, well, I guess call it a montage, a collage, a, a, a compilation, that too, thank you very much. Okay, I was getting to that. <laughs> I know you were, thank you, darling. A compilation, okay, of all these so-called celebrities and how they feel about God and about Christ. And it, would, it wouldn't shock you, but it should. Because they were demeaning, they were being vulgar, they were being uh, just terrible about the existence of God. One said, I don't want to have anything to do with God. God, and, and held up an Oscar because they got an Oscar and said, this is my God now. There was another one that said, to hell with God. And I will stop there because it was just, it was unbelievable. But we think we live in this Christian culture and Christian nation. If you believe that, then you're duped. We don't. Everything that's being moved so far, when we see what's going on in our, in our politics, which, let me tell you, say something to you real quick. Christians are not here to change politics. Okay? We're not here to change the political world. We're here to change the world through witnessing and sharing Christ and the gospel. That's it. If that changes politics, great. But our focus is not to change our politics and not to even change our nation. It's to change our neighbors. It's to change the person that, that is, is, we see at a McDonald's or wherever you may go for lunch. Or whoever God brings in your path. We're here to share the gospel. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That's it. 
And if it changes our politics, praise God. If it changes our nation, praise God, which it will. But the whole point is this, is that our world is against God. They're against the resurrection. Because the resurrection proved that Jesus was who he said he was. Let me show you something. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Excuse me. You ever get that one little dot? And no matter how enthusiastic you may be at the moment, it's driving you crazy. Okay, look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, means they've died, in Christ, have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If the resurrection isn't true, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. In fact, the word worthless it means this, has no purpose, no value, as in chasing one's shadow. Let me put that up on the board here for you. Should be slide three. They're having troubles back there. Okay. Again, worthless, it means no purpose, no value, as in chasing one's shadow. Let me tell you something else. John Locke, now you've heard this before, I've shared this before. The 18th century British philosopher, he was a theologian, very godly man, believe it or not. He said this, our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity. So great that is his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's, he's a liar. He's no better than any other man. This is what our faith is. And let me tell you something, saints, if we don't grab this, we will not be able to share Christ effectively because you won't believe what you're talking about. It's great, yeah. Oh, wonderful, yeah. Christ rose from the dead, woo. This was a life-changing event. And I'm going to show you... I love theology. I didn't used to like it, okay? And some around me know that it was like, oh, okay, great. But the more I've studied the scriptures, the more it became foundational. And the more I learned from the word of God, the more my faith grew and the intensity of my faith grew. But most people don't even pick up their Bibles during the week. And then we wonder why. Our spiritual walk is in the shape of a sin. We wonder why worldliness is greater than spiritual walk with Christ. Here's a historical fa fact. Christ rose from the dead. Historic, historical faith says Christ lives. Okay? There's, you know, believe it or not, if you ask some people that are not even believers, do you think Christ rose from the dead? Most will go, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, sounds good. So they'll say, yeah, Christ lives. Historical faith we need to have. We can't discount it. The fact is, 
is that the tomb is empty and every writing that's ever been written about it says that Christ rose from the dead. The scriptures say Christ rose from the dead. But here's something interesting. Turn to Mark 1.1. You all still tracking with me? Mark opened his historical record by declaring Jesus to be Christ, the Son of God. Look at Mark 1. In the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Read that again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does that have to do with anything? Everything throughout his gospel confirms that fact. But the resurrection proves it beyond any shadow of a doubt. He made the statement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everything showed it, but what happened was is when we get to chapter 16, as we call it, okay, and it talks about the resurrection, that chapter, that fact proved it. We can argue over all kinds of theology, but we can't argue over this. And when we do, if we're arguing against it, we're discounting that he's the Son of God. And we're discounting salvation by faith alone. There were at least five resurrection appearances of Jesus on Resurrection Day. There were many more, but on Resurrection Day there were five. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the other women, Matthew chapter 28, verses 9 through 10. He appeared to Peter, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and Luke 24, 34. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, which we'll look at next week. And then he appeared to the, the disciples minus Thomas. There were five, on that day, there were five accounts, five eyewitness accounts that Jesus rose from the dead. And they're written down. They always say that if Christ didn't rise, then all the disciples believed a lie and died for a lie. All the, the martyrs over the centuries, the last two centuries, they died for a lie. There's more to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just a historical understanding. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, starting verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, the weekly Sabbath, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week. Amen. They came to the tomb when the uh, sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of this tomb? Looking up, they saw that, those, that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they, they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. 
They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The women, or the woman. Let me show you something about Mary. Now, I know that Yoav preached and, and did a great job on Mary. I'm not trying to add anything to it. I'm just trying to give you the account, okay? Mary Magdalene, Mary means, the name means strong. It also means bitterness. It means rebellious. It means obstinate. It means trouble. So if you see somebody with name Mary, run. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding because we have several Marys here and they're wonderful, godly people and I'm going to get in big trouble for this. Okay, okay easy, easy. <laughs> okay. Because watch what happens to her. Okay. The, it is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Miriam. And you know what Miriam means? Their rebellion. You know what Magdalene means? It means tower, it means castle. So her name, now look at this real quick for a minute. In reality, in just in the natural, her name was already against her. Where she was from. If you had rebellion to a high tower, what do you get? Very strong rebellion, don't you? A fortified rebellion. So her name was already against her. She was delivered from seven demons in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. She was one of Jesus' primary, she became one of Jesus' primary financial supporters, Luke 8, 3. She was at the cross through the whole event, and her name is one of the names always given there, even above Jesus' own mother, Mary. Think about that. She was present when Jesus was taken down from the cross, and until the very last moment at his burial, she was there. She was foremost in making preparations, as we just read, for embalming his body over the weekend. Then we saw she visited the tomb after the Sabbath, at the earliest possible moment, arising very early in the morning when it was still dark. John chapter 20, verse 1. We'll see that in a moment. And she refused to leave the tomb after Peter and John verified that the body was missing. So here's a lady that was filled with seven demons. Now let me say something real quick. Many believe she was the woman who anointed his feet. Many believe she was the, the woman caught in adultery. There's no actual proof on that. All we know about Mary is she was delivered from seven demons. That's all we know. But many associate her with those unnamed women of ill repute. But we have no proof of that. We don't know whether she was a prostitute or not. Many believe she was. But the fact is she was tormented by seven demons. Her life was probably, by just her name, very rebellious in some way, shape, or form. But what happened is when she met Jesus, he changed her life. That encounter changed her life so radically that she didn't want to leave him. She stayed with that group, with the group of disciples that followed him. She became one of his highest supporters. She was there all the way to the very end. And then when the end came, she stayed. And then when the end came and she couldn't see him, she waited till the next day to go and try to embalm his body to take care of him. Because her devotion was so huge. 
Mary had extreme devotion, which was her strength. Devotion means this. Look at it for me. It means to sit near. It means to constantly attend or constantly attend it. That never made sense, but that's exactly how it was written. And easily obeying, compliant. And that's wonderful, but when you look at Mary, I think it was even deeper than that. What's happened in our world? Now listen to me on this. What's happened in our world is that many movie makers and many writers have said that Mary was having an affair with Jesus. Which is gross. Some even historians say that they had a child together. Mm -hmm. This is the perversion that's going on. Why? Because it takes away from the deity of Christ. It takes away from salvation. It takes away from God being pure and holy and righteous. It destroys the gospel and destroys the very character of God. Mary's devotion was pure. It was holy. Let me show you some. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. Now, Paul is talking about, about uh, not getting married, but look what he says. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate. Now, watch this. And to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the point I want to make. When we are wholly devoted to Christ, and there's some, Paul said, you know, by not getting married, if God has given you that gift, that's wonderful because you will have an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, can we have undistracted being married? Yeah, but not like what Paul's talking about. Now, I'm not talking about not getting married. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about a devotion to Christ. What's interesting is the word undistracted. I looked it up, and the deepest meaning I can find means without distraction. But I did find something else. It means without the distraction of earthly things. Now, did you catch that? Now, think about that, what I just said, and apply it to Mary Magdalene. Does it fit? Mary, above all others, seems to have loved Jesus more and held him closer to her heart with more devotion than anyone else. Her need for him seems to have been greater and felt more than anyone else's. You know why? Now, we don't know if this woman was Mary, okay? But in Luke 7, 47, the woman had anointed Jesus' feet at the table they all that were sitting there, the Pharisees and the guests, were ridiculing her. And even the disciples said, you know, we could have sold that. And Jesus said, leave her alone. But you know what's interesting? In Luke chapter 7, verse 47, it says, Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Have you forgotten? Have, you know what? I'll just say this. I'm going to make this statement. And I hope it goes out over the airways. I believe the church has forgotten that they were forgiven. Because we don't live like we're forgiven. We live like we can live the way we want to. 
Because if we were, knew how much we were forgiven of, we would love that much, if not greater. You find a man who marries a woman that he knows is way out of his league, that is far better than anything he deserves, and if he's a humble man, he loves that woman more than anything else. God forgave us of sin so greatly that he welcomed us into heaven. He welcomed us into a relationship with him that was lost. Am I making sense? And what we do, and you're saying, guys, it sounds like you're spanking us this morning. I'm not. I want us to realize something. There's a fact here. Because we're coming to times we're going to have to know that we know Christ. Because if not, we're going to be deceived. And let me tell you, when we love God, when we know that we're forgiven and know that we've been forgiven much, because even the smallest sin is so huge that it can keep us out of heaven. And it did. And Christ forgave us. And when we come to him, we repent of our sins. We accept his salvation, his atonement for our sins. We are, we, we are saved. And that smallest sin that's so huge is forgiven. And then he gave us grace in the midst of it all, that when we do sin, even after we know him, even after we've accepted him, that sin, it says that we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us. Mary knew this. She knew this. And her love was as great, if not greater, than even that. She knew that she was forgiven. What God had done drove out seven demons in her life, changed her life radically. Mary's passionate devotion to Christ gave way to the resurrection encounter that would radically change her life, her heart and life once again. Now, if she was that devoted, something changed at the tomb. Let me show you something. Look at John chapter 20. Y'all still with me? Okay. John chapter 20. I told you last week of a guy that I met at Rebecca and Jerry's uh, church that they attend. And I told you you could see, you could see Jesus in his eyes. You could see salvation. He loved God. Look at John chapter 20. Look at verse 11. This is after she's gone to the tomb. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. So as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried, away, carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, 
I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to, to her. Let me show you something. There was an extreme encounter at the tomb. There was an emotional encounter first. Verses 11 through 13. Mary's devotion to Jesus kept her at the tomb, still wanting to serve her teacher. Maybe your master at that time. Her emotions are wrapped up in this. And let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with having your emotions wrapped up in Jesus. I'd rather them wrapped up there than anyplace else. She had a physical encounter. Verses 14 through 17. Look at 14 again. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Now we know what he said to her. When Jesus was standing behind her, Mary turns around and says, show me where you laid him. And we're going to see why she didn't recognize him next week. Where'd you lay him? Please tell me. But it wasn't until what? Mary recognized Jesus, not by sight, but by his voice and the way he said her name. And you've heard me say this many times. You can tell how someone feels about you by the way they say your name. Remember your mom when she was mad at you? How did she say your name? Usually your full name, right? Ronnie Lee Wallace, I'm dead. But how about this? You walk up to somebody and go, Hi, Darina. How you doing? Bradley, good to see you, buddy. Man, you're a good man, Bradley. I love you, man. Darina, good to see you. Could you tell who was favored and who wasn't? Okay. And now, even in counseling, they tell you, you can tell how somebody feels about you by how they say your name. And from what you read in the context, when Jesus looked at her and said, Mary, it was a very tender, very pointed, and it's in that context of, of filled with love, filled with, 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 with desire in a good way. Mary. And here's the thing. She must have heard him say that to her as other people so many times that that's why she recognized it at the tomb. She knew how he spoke to her. She knew how much he loved her. She knew Christ. You know, John chapter, seven, uh, chapter 10, verse 27 through 28, he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give, them eternal, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Mary's recognition of Jesus and a cry of Rabboni is one of the emotional highlights of the entire gospel of John. Why? Because of this. Look at something. Rabboni means master. means the highest title of honor given to a teacher. It means my great master. And it was addressed to Christ uh, by blind Bartimaeus and Mary Magdalene. When she said it changed from rabbi to Rabboni, in many ways it meant, in this context, Lord. You're my master. You're the one that I serve. I feel like I'm losing you this morning. Please hear me. Who do you serve? 
Who do you serve? Verses 17 through 18, Mary, uh, Mary's relationship with Jesus has now changed. It is no longer bound to this earth. He is now more than a teacher. He is her Lord. Okay, why? Because what happened? This undistracted devotion is what? Not distracted by the things of this world. Not distracted by earthly things. What matters to us? You know what matters to church today? The building, the attendance, how much everyone's making, how much fun we have. It's really very little about God anymore. You know, I've said this, that the world is having meetings on Sundays now. You know what? Many, many states have them. And they're atheists that have church meetings. They have gatherings. And they sing popular songs, and they have a good little teaching or encouragement, and they fellowship and hang out together. And it's no different than most churches. And it's been said that if the world can imitate what we're doing, what do you think? Then we're not doing it right. The whole point of the church gathering is to encourage one another, to teach one another, to fellowship with one another, and also to encounter God together. And how do we do that? Through encouraging one another, through using the gifts, through getting in his word. But getting in his word is boring if it's not by an exciting person. And that's not for, you know, to get attention towards me because I'm not that exciting. But here's the point, is that if it's for entertainment, then why are we here? Do you know that many pastors are getting, are getting to a point where they don't want to do online? Because it's ruining the church. You, I'm going to say it. You can't have church online. I got to see you. I got to be around you. I got to hear your voice. I got to see your face. I got to see the encouragement. I got to sense that you're here. That's what church is. But when we put it online, what does it do? It separates and it divides. Now, it's wonderful if, if they're shut-ins and they can't make it. That's good. That's fine. But true church, ecclesia, gathering, is done in person. But that's not important anymore. Because why? We're entertainment-oriented. And I know I got off the notes, but I had to say this. It's entertainment-oriented. There was no entertainment when... Mary encountered Christ. It was life-changing. It was life-changing. And it was life-changing again because, see, when Mary's standing at the tomb, she already knew Jesus. She knew him well. He changed her life in an incredible way that turned her devotion towards him and towards the other disciples and being a part of that group to the point where she even worked to give money to be able to support what he was doing. So she was already life changed before. But all of a sudden she's at the tomb and she's grieving and Jesus appears to her and finally looks at her and says, Mary, and she recognized who, who he was. She recognized that her Lord was alive and there was another encounter that changed her life. See, every day when we encounter Christ in some way, shape, or form through his word, 
through prayer, through an encouragement of another person. These things should be changing our lives and moving us closer to becoming more like Christ. Am I making sense? That's what church is about. That's what walking with Christ is about. Some say, well, you know, there's no, you change once and that's it. I don't believe that. I believe we're changed, yes, we're saved once. But our life continuously changes and we're more sanctified. We get more, more holy before Christ by encounters with him all the way through to we encounter him for the very last time. And that's not real theological the way I said it. But it's just fact. Mary's life changed. The greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the changed heart and life of one who has been truly born again. I've told you many stories over the years of people that I met and that their life showed me that Jesus was alive. They weren't perfect. I've told this story a number of times. There was a a young, young lady, wonderful. She became a good friend, and from what I understand, she's in the ministry and married now. But she came to our, this little church that we were pastoring. She came in one Sunday in the back and walked in. And I shared this the other night, on Wednesday night. And she came in the back, she was dressed in black. And the moment she walked in, it was evident that she was in witchcraft. Very evident. I mean, it, you didn't have to be overly spiritual to figure that out because she wanted you to know that because her hair was dyed black. She was dressed in black. She had, you know, satanic jewelry on. And she came in, she sat in the back row. And I don't even remember her name now, but I can see her face still. And she came and she sat through the whole service. And what was really funny is, is many of the congregation that knew what was going on, they got all wigged out. They were like, you know, so we, we worshiped, I preached, the altar call was wonderful, we had a great time, and before we actually ended, she got up and she left. So I get home, it was about 3 o'clock, get home and my phone rings, and I pick up the phone, and she goes, you know who this is, don't you? I said, yeah, you were sitting in the back, because see, our phone numbers were on the pamphlets in the back of the church. She goes, I need to meet with you, I said, that's fine. I don't really need to meet with you. I said, I know why you're there. And she goes, but I need to meet with you. She goes, will you meet with me? I said, when? She goes, right now. Can you meet me at McDonald's? I said, sure. Okay. So get Denise to pray for me. I get in my truck and I drive over there. And I'm praying the whole time. And um, she said she would be sitting in the back of McDonald's. And there was a back door, and there was a front door, and, and then by the bathroom, she was sitting right there. This is when you could smoke in restaurants. She, and I come in, and she was, you know, like chain smoking, real nervous. And there's a point to this. And I come in, I walk in, and I stand there like this. I said, what do you want? And she goes, you've got a very powerful aura. I said, I don't need your affirmation on my aura. And she goes, well, I just, I said, what do you want? And she goes, I don't know. I said, and I, there was 
you know, like chair, she was in like the chairs back there, and there was chairs here that were facing her. And I leaned up on the chair. Excuse me, my back hurts. And I, I leaned up on the chair. I was young then. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you something. I said, I don't know what your name is. I don't know who you are, but I know what you're trying to do. I said, you've come to the wrong congregation. And she goes, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, I said, because God abides here. I said, and you're picking on the wrong people. I said, I'll tell you this. She goes, what's that? I said, why don't you keep coming? I want you here every week. She goes, why is that? I said, because I know within just a few weeks you're going to get saved. You're going to have an encounter with Christ, and you're going to give your heart to Christ, or you're going to get so uncomfortable you're going to leave, and you'll never come back. I said, I'll see you next Sunday. And I turned and walked out. Next Sunday, she comes in the back. She sits in the back. Next Sunday, she comes in and sits in the back. Next Sunday, she comes and sits in the back. So a number of weeks, she came sitting in the back. And each week, you could tell something was going on because each week, her appearance began to change a little bit. She didn't dress in black anymore as much as, you know, she'd have something black on. And she came in the back and came in the back. And one Sunday, I was giving the, you know, the altar call and ministry time, and she came almost crawling down the front. The, the, the aisle and she came to the front and gave her heart to Christ radically saved she got very devoted to Christ and eventually went and went into the ministry she married a young man and went into ministry did camp ministry for a while I mean it was so cool that she even got to babysit Jesse she got that changed okay radically changed why because she had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me show you something else. I've read you this before, but I want to read it again. Dr. Robert W. Dale. Okay? This is a life-changing event. Dr. Robert W. Dale, who is one of Great Britain's leading congregational pastors and theologians, was one day preparing an Easter sermon when a realization of the risen Lord struck him with new power. He shouted, Christ is alive. He said to himself, alive, alive, alive. He paused and then said, can that really be true? Living as really as I myself am? He got up from his desk and began to walk around the study repeating, Christ is living, Christ is living. Dr. Dale had known and believed this doctrine for years, but the reality of, reality of it overwhelmed him that day. From that time on, the living Christ was the theme of his preaching. And he had his congregation sing an Easter hymn every Sunday morning. He said, I want my people to get hold of the glorious fact that Christ is alive and rejoice over it. Historical faith says Christ lives. Saving faith says Christ lives in me. That's what it's about. That's what it comes down to. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the Father's affirmation that Christ's atonement accomplished on the cross was accepted as full payment for our sins. Romans 4.25 says this, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Christ's resurrection is the proof that the sacrifice for our sins was given. And it was accepted. If he's alive, 
then so are you as a believer. And as he rose, so will you as a believer. That resurrection power changed the life of Mary Magdalene. It changed the life of that young girl that I told you about. It changed the life of many people. Has it changed our lives? Have we had that encounter, that identification, that, as Oswald Chambers would call it, an identification with the fact that Christ truly is living? Or is church just kind of, eh, blasé? You know when church gets exciting? When the people get the resurrection in them. If not, we're just people that come on Wednesdays and on Sundays. And that's not a rebuke. That's a please. The exciting congregation is a congregation that knows Jesus is alive. And he saved them. And they owe everything to him. And their life is devoted to him. 100%. Not perfect. But devoted. Here's a question. What is hindering your understanding and keeping you from walking fully in your relationship to Jesus? What thing... What earthly thing, what earthly things or, or, or situations are keeping you from absolute devotion to Jesus Christ? The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than a historical fact or understanding. It is a life-altering fact that changes one's life for all eternity. I'm going to end with this story. I've told you this story probably before. But it was a very impacting thing that happened to me. One of my closest friends at the time, we sang a group, a group together. We went to college together. He never could get his walk with Christ solid. No matter what people would say to him, no matter how much he did. Because the world was so much a part of his life that it kept drawing him back in a nutshell he quit college became a fireman but he got hooked on drugs again and he was in and out of drugs over and over again he got married to a wonderful christian girl had two kids and he would leave for months at a time and never she wouldn't know where he was and then he would show back up again and she stayed married to him One time he left for a year. She had no idea where he was. He was living in Fort Lauderdale, dealing drugs, doing drugs, and living with a girl. One day, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who was in the group together that we sang in, and we all kind of grew up in the Lord together. And he said, you hear about we'll call him Bill. You hear about Bill? I said, no. He goes, it's on the news. I said, what happened? He goes, he was killed. This is what happened. He had come in and out. In fact, about two years before that, him and his wife showed up at Denise and I's apartment one time because she was lived not far from us. And we connected again. And she was part, you know, she was a friend of mine in college. And she came 
and said, what do I do? And we said, just stay, just wait, see what God does. So shortly after that, he showed back up another time and came to our house and they wanted to do counseling. And so we said, we'll do it. But it lasted about two or three weeks and then he disappeared again. And the next time when he was, he never came home. What happened was, is he came, he was living in Pompano Beach, actually, Florida. And he was dealing drugs and he was living with a girl that was actually living and they had a, a roommate. The roommate was involved with the drug cartels from Colombia. They came looking for that guy because he owed him money. Bill and his girlfriend were the only ones home when they came busting through the door. They tied him up and shot him execution style. I sang at his funeral. And I wrestled with it. Did he make it? Did he make it? This is not a dramatic story to try to mess your emotions up to get you to come forward or anything like that. It's a fact. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, as by fire. It talks about it in Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, where it says, that some will make it in, but as just basically, this is a paraphrase, skimming the fires of hell to get in. I believe he's there. But when it came time to lay his crowns, I don't think he had a lot of crowns. There wasn't much to lay at the feet of Jesus. Because his devotion was divided. His wife's devotion was never divided. She's gotten remarried. The kids grew up. They did well. Where's your devotion to Christ? If I got to tell a story to stir him up, then I will do that. Because the bottom line is this, is that Mary Magdalene's life was changed twice that we know of. First time when she was, you know, when Jesus cast the demons out of her and she served him for almost three years. And the second time was at the tomb when he said her name, Mary, and she turned around. She was absolutely amazed it was him. And the reality of the resurrection changed her life because she went back and told him, and they still didn't believe her. But she turned out to be right. We don't really know what happened to her. There's all kinds of stories, but we don't know what happened to Mary Magdalene. But I guarantee you this, she stayed with Christ and was devoted to him all the way through until she say, gave, her, gave up her last breath. And then she saw him face to face once again. Where do you stand today? Where's your devotion? Let's pray. If you'll stand with me, we're going to pray. Lord, I pray that in these moments as we worship, that Holy Spirit, that you will take, take control. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we as a church will be wholly devoted unto you. I pray that in my life, that, Lord, that the things, that things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. That, Lord, the things of this earth won't pull at us anymore. That there'll be that encounter, that identification with you. And that, Lord, that each day is a different and wonderful building block encounter with you. 
because your mercies are new every morning. So if they're new every morning, they're new to us every morning. And so therefore, Lord, that's another moment that's not like the one yesterday. May they be, may you be, the desire of our heart. And Father, if someone doesn't know you this morning, if they're here and they, they don't know what I'm talking about, they've never had, Lord, that encounter where, Lord, they've repented of their sin, asked your forgiveness, and then gave their life wholly to you. That moment, Father, I pray that, Lord, at this moment that they will recognize that they're a sinner by you, Holy Spirit. Just as you did that young lady where you changed her life, Lord, took her from darkness and darkness of witchcraft into the, the light of devotion to you, of being a believer, a Christian. Lord, change our lives.